Well, I mean, I figured I would just mention, because we don't really have a whole story for it or anything, but obviously, you know, the the writer, this isn't doesn't count as a cold open because it's going to be about the topic, but like, it's been pretty dope to see the number of different unions that have shown up on the WGA picket lines uh, to actually show out and support. Because obviously we talked about like the Teamsters and SAG-AFTRA and the DGA, but I've seen like, uh, and and IATSE, obviously. I saw like the painters loaned the WGA their scabby for their protest against David Zaslav at BU, which was so fucking great because there's all these videos that you know went around on Twitter while they were protesting it, and you could, his whole speech at the commencement is you can only hear the students chanting "Pay your riders" and then actually <laughs> doing the fucking sports chant and everything, uh, clap and everything. So, yeah, and then uh, you know they basically get him to, as he's doing his speech to to be like, uh, yeah, uh, and some people uh, they want to pick a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be like, Dude, why were they giving that motherfucker like, a, a honorary a, a degree in the middle of a fucking strike against him? Yeah, Seems I mean, like some scab activity, in my opinion. It's BU. I'm not that surprised busting out the hockey rivalry hatred <laughs> mm. um but yeah it's just been so cool i actually i have a friend who's in the ibew who who works in boston and he had some pictures he posted today from him going out to the picket line to support them so like it's been really cool because there's been like every union like dispatching people out to the picket line while you have motherfuckers like uh posting these bizarre like screeds about how like the writer strike is bad because it doesn't like acknowledge the individuals like right to control their own labor or something in the realm of art is so stupid. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, did you just like find somebody who wrote an article for like reason.com and count that as like writing and to to get them like a fake wga card so they could just write something nonsensical like that (laughs) yeah it's a silly take but anyways hell yeah for the writers uh glad that so many other unions are like getting on board with this strike and as we approach a little further into the summer where we have the strike votes for both sag aftra and the dga uh you know, we might see the only total Hollywood shutdown of all the unions that would ever have maybe ever. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, here's hoping. Bring Hollywood to its knees. Hell yeah, that's right.
Welcome, everybody. Speaking of bringing Hollywood to its knees, to a podcast. Uh, my name is John, and if I sound like shit, that's because my interface broke today. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And they sound normal because they have their shit together. We are entirely listener-supported. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. If you do, it really does go a long way towards keeping the show going. Hop in the Discord if you're not in there already. If you are a patron and you don't have stickers yet, just message us on Patreon, and we will get them to you. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help. Uh, maybe the Zoom company website, you could leave a review that says, <laughs> Work Stoppage is a great podcast and you need your USB ports to be indestructible, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, also, thank you to our patrons so that we can get John a new interface. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, uh, let's start with our quick hits. Uh, we've got kind of a list of them, starting with on Friday, where workers at Bandcamp voted 31-7 to 7 to unionize, joining the OPEIU. Uh, management originally challenged the validity of several ballots, but it did not matter uh, because it was not enough to actually overturn the vote. The union and the company then put together a joint statement saying, quote, Bandcamp United and Bandcamp Management are committed to working together to continue to advance fair economic conditions for our workers and the artists who rely on us. We look forward to negotiating with an open mind and working in good faith to promote the best interests of all of our staff and the artists and label community we serve, end quote. And yeah. Okay. I- Okay. Uh, honestly, kind of a magnanimous move by the union to put out the joint statement after the company challenged like 15 ballots. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, congrats to the workers at Bandcamp, which I'm really glad that they're union because like Bandcamp is to seems to me to be like the only platform out there that doesn't like completely fuck over every artist that's on there. That's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, so glad to see this. But Friday was a big day. Uh, So uh, also Friday, this is the 19th, um, workers at the Carnegie Museums in in Pittsburgh, organized by the USW, the Steelworkers, they announced that they've reached their first ever contract agreement with the bosses. So uh, workers won immediate raises of over 15%, with some of the lower-paid workers winning over 30% raises. They won the formation of a health and safety committee with worker representatives uh, on it. They won discrimination protections and more sick time for part-time workers. So this rocks. Congratulations to the workers at the Carnegie Museum on their first contract. Hell yeah. And then just a couple real quick ones. Um, these are all actually on Friday. Friday is Labor News Day, apparently, as I've realized. Uh, uh, the, the Real quick, uh, the faculty at Miami University in Ohio uh, voted 65% in favor of unionizing with the AFT. So congratulations to them. Uh, I believe that I was reading that makes them the 14th uh, unionized uh, university faculty in the state of Ohio. Um, and finally, <laughs> kind of a weird one, Congratulations to the grad student workers at MIT who unionized, uh, you know, last year for resoundingly voting down a new contract. Uh, They voted at the recommendation of their bargaining committee, 1,715 to 226 against ratifying a contract that the university offered them. The workers knew 
did not meet most of their demands, but that the university refused to continue negotiating unless the workers voted on it. So well done by the workers for sticking to your principles and MIT, please stop screwing around. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess uh, going into additional follow-ups, this one being a little bit more in-depth, at the University of Michigan, where grad students have been on strike now for nearly two months, now the university is beginning a campaign of falsifying student grades in order to make up for the fact that they are not willing to uh, support the workers that are on strike. Yeah, this is uh, frankly a, a, a... Move I really didn't really expect them to do because uh, it theoretically could have long-term uh, poor outcomes for the University of Michigan. But because, you know, as the academic year comes to a close, you know, on the one hand, the school will be like, aha, the semester is ending. The grad student's leverage will disappear. But the problem is with the semester ending, there's this whole thing at the university that's supposed to happen at the end of the semester, which is all the students get a grade, but they can't get a grade if their teachers are on strike, which has, of course, been one of the primary forms of leverage that the grad workers have while they're striking. And so, of course, with commencement coming up, with students graduating, there, there was a scramble by the administration to deal with this. They're like, oh, we're not going to have grades. People aren't going to graduate. And so the obvious thing they could do is say, all right, fine, fuck it. We'll just, we'll meet their demands and make them go back to work and grade the, the papers. We'll do what they want. We, we have to, you know, get them back here so we can get the grades so students can graduate. They've tried a new uh, approach to that, which is what if we just made the grades up? Uh, basically applying the whose line is it anyway uh, approach to student transcripts from the University of Michigan uh, where the the grades are made up and the GPA doesn't matter. Yeah, because like, they're basically handing out straight A's to some students and then random grades to others, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they basically gave out direction pressuring departments that have you know a lot of striking grad student workers that they have to just they have to put in a grade even if they've never taught these students, and and so uh, we have a quote here from uh, Amir Fleischman who is the chair of the contract committee for the Graduate Employees Organization, the union that is on strike, where they said, "quote The provost and dean have pressured department chairs and non-instructional staff to put in fabricated grades." So in many cases, this means straight A's for students. And in other cases, students are actually getting grades that are lower than they deserve. We want to send a message that grad workers are not backing down and what they're doing is unacceptable and dangerous, end quote. Right. And I mean, on top of that, it does or doesn't, but it puts the question out there on whether or not this is going to affect the possible accreditation of the school, whether or not right. like, the school is even like, gonna be allowed to continue giving credible grades in the future now that's not necessarily very likely because right. you know this is a ruling class institution of sorts but you know uh or at least it's ran by them let's hear what the ruling class institution has to say so when they pushed back against this they said quote the truth is the deans at each of our schools and colleges have been tasked with working with department chairs and faculty to ensure any missing grades are entered as soon as possible the methods for resolving grades depend on individual circumstances of each class wow does that run counter to the information we were just given <laughs> Yeah, well, and they're just like, well, they're going to enter missing grades. It's like mm -hmm. the way they phrase it like that, as if the grade already existed. It was just 
it got, it was lost behind this desk. I just, I went and found it. It was missing. And it's like, no, <laughs> it wasn't missing. There was no grade because the only staff member who has been teaching these students, going over all of their work, and has any idea whatsoever of the level of like attainment of the, an understanding of the knowledge, you know, pr proffered in the class. Uh, because those people are not working right now because they are on strike. So you didn't go find something that already existed. You fabricated it out of thin air, <laughs> which is exactly what the students are saying. And the the reason this is bad, because, you know, like from a, you know, I certainly would never have complained when I was in college about getting a free A. But, and, and I'm not going to come out here and necessarily, like, have some pearl-clutching thing about, like, we're destroying the future of America. But just <laughs> even from the university's perspective, the whole idea of being an accredited like institution of higher learning in this country is that you follow a certain set of standards that can be verified so that you can compare, for instance, somebody who has a degree in mathematics from the University of Michigan to well, someone from the University of California to somebody from the University of, like, uh, from SUNY, the, the State University of New York. Any of those need to be at least largely comparable, at least from the perspective of capitalism, so that employers know what they're getting, what, what they're paying for when they hire you know, degreed specialists. But if you just start making shit up, <laughs> how can anyone trust that? And now, you know, you were kind of alluding to this, Lena, like, I don't actually expect them to lose their accreditation over this. But the fact that I don't expect that and I don't think anybody expects that tells us a lot about how actually objective, quote unquote, the accreditation process is and really how it, like pretty much everything in our society, has a class character to it that ultimately they're not going to be willing to question, you know, the academic standards of a school that gives out grades they just made up. <laughs> because the institution is run for the same class purposes as every other, you know, powerful hierarchical organization in our society. So, like, and ultimately, unfortunately, the university has framed this issue in a form of victim blaming, claiming that they're just working to, quote, prevent undergraduates from being penalized for graduate students striking. Oh, that's rich. Yeah, wait, <laughs> yeah it's like, but why are they striking? Is it because of the intransigence of the administration? Well, in the implication that it's it's the grad students who are punishing the students by striking, when it, it's like, you could end this strike anytime. You could have ended it anytime in the last two months. You just call up the union and say, all right, fine, uncle. <laughs> you what, what demands do you want? We're good. Go back and, and, and give them their grades. And they would have come right back to work. You could have avoided this whole problem. So the only one penalizing these students by either not giving them a grade at all or giving them a fake grade that nobody should really trust is you, the administrators. Like, Yeah. Well, and uh, we, we heard it uh, wrapped up neatly with a bow from CEO President Jared Eno, who said, quote, it appears that the administration would rather abandon academic integrity then treat its workers with respect. And yeah, totally agree. And then also, you know, uh, along to your earlier point, they would also rather penalize the students mm -hmm. than treat its workers with respect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is while the offer that they're putting towards the grad students is 12% over three years, which is below inflation. 
And this is for workers that currently make $24,000 a year. This is incredibly low. Obviously not a, a salary that you could live on in Ann Arbor, right? Yeah. And also, I'll just chime in real quick. I've seen some people online being like, these grad students that, that are compensated $90,000 a year because they're counting their tuition reimbursement as if it's income. It's like, guys, I can't pay my rent. I can't pay the doctor bills. I can't pay for daycare for a kid with tuition reimbursement. Yeah, so it's not income. Going down to the corner store and they have a sticker in the window that says, we accept tuition reimbursement. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, well, and it's even bullshit. Then, like, like the, these, they're working for this institution and so they get the education, but also – you can't like what then is it would they be just getting loans or something like that like that no it's just it doesn't make any sense to to frame it in such a way yeah and so just to close uh, with another quote from from Amir Fleischman the chair of their contract committee said quote these are the facts the university has an annual budget surplus of well over 400 million dollars it can easily afford to pay us a living wage our demands are reasonable, modest, and in line with what graduate workers at other universities receive. Our members are unfazed and ready to fight on. This can end with the stroke of a pen. They have the money and resources to give us a fair contract, end quote. And that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, just straight facts the whole time. Yeah. Like it's- you know, as, as long as we're talking about workers who are spitting straight facts— uh, let's move over to South Korea, where we're going to follow up with the workers there who have continued their fight against the far-right government of Yoon Suk-yeol. So this week, following the tra- tragic death of construction organizer Yang Hee-dong after he was persecuted by the state, over 40,000 members of the KCTU marched on the president's office in Yongsan on Wednesday, May 17th, and demanded an end to the war on workers. And here's the hot fire. In a statement, the union said, quote, the Yoon Suk-yeol government government since taking office has done nothing but destroy labor, the daily livelihoods of people, democracy, and peace. It has accused justified labor union activities as being illegal, and oppression from all sides led to the death of Yang Hee-dong. And in response to this, on Tuesday, 25,000 workers marched through downtown Seoul, shutting down traffic through large portions of the city to demand that the government stop attacking labor. Many workers kept the rally going all night, setting up camp and sleeping out, eating together in memory of their comrade Yang. Police attempted to disrupt the rally and prevent workers from camping out, but were rebuffed by the the sheer number of workers. The following morning, the workers, who were joined by thousands of their comrades, marched to President Yoon's office to demand he stop attacking labor organizing. And I mean, like, we've seen some pretty big demonstrations here in the United States, but we've never seen 25,000 workers take over an entire downtown for an entire night. Yeah. Like, I mean, like you said, like with their quote, it's every, I feel like every time we report on like a a coordinated action by the KCTU, I'm always just left like, man, they are (laughs) so well organized. It's like, I'm just, I'm so impressed. I'm like, I want to build something like that here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so the Korean workers have organized many massive protests in recent months in response to these attacks, but the Western press has basically ignored them altogether, refusing to report on any ongoing class struggle uh, in one of their uh, neo-colonies. 
mm-hmm. over a hundred thousand workers have protested or have participated in protests across the country on May Day, uh, the day that Yang tragically passed. Since then, there has also been a nationwide healthcare worker strike, which happened on May 11th, with more planned after that. The Korean Metal Workers Union has planned a national strike for May 31st. The KCTU has also announced plans to organize a general strike later this summer if the government does not stop attacking workers. This, uh, to me, sounds very similar to the uh, farmer's strike, which is the Mm -hmm. give in to our demands or we will escalate, which is the way that protests should work. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, absolutely. While the Western corporate media may not be reporting on it, the South Korean working class is not taking these attacks laying down. They are launching an organized fight back that we can really learn from a lot over here in the Imperial Corps. It's really important to be raising these up as some of these things that we can call to. And and also to just show solidarity because these workers are under incredibly oppressive conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because the the KCTU is is far more forceful in its demonstrations and far and, and is and also more willing. I feel like to help direct, like, because I feel like most of the major AFL unions are they're in the AFL, but they're pretty independent. Like they they're they're not like taking marching orders from Liz Schuler or anything. Which is like that's fine. I'm not saying that there needs to be a super centralized hierarchy. But it's like the KCTU is bringing out here metal workers. They're bringing out construction workers. They're bringing out all these different unions at once, which rocks. And and also being there's no like. B- both sides are like appealing to the bipartisanship of like, you know, the good people in the right wing party, which I think is the people's power party, I think is, um, Yoon's uh-huh. party over there. And there's none of that. It's just, there's the bullshit where you have to pretend that like, there's good, there's oh there's good ideas in both. Can- no, they're not. There isn't like the, the, the right wing party is bad. <laughs> they want bad things to happen in the world and it needs to be opposed. Like it's pretty fucking simple where it's like their whole thing, as they said, they are attacking democracy. They are attacking the existence of labor as like an, a paradigm. And they, and the, the KCTU is actually taking the appropriate level of response. Like you have made this so bad that you charged somebody with extortion because they negotiated a good contract. And that like, destroyed that guy's life to the point where he felt he had no other option than to, you know, light himself on fire. And so you now have a massive fight back from the Korean working class, which is great to see, but I will say it continues to point to the very fact uh, that our media is a part of the state's apparatus, specifically the ideological state apparatus, because I had to like dig for this stuff to find it. And, and like, it's a, I'm one of the reasons I follow Tim Shorak, who's an independent journalist who's covered Korea for a really long time. He's really good follow on, on Twitter because none of the major media was talking about this. I like, I, I was probably only because of the, the decades of colonialism that the U S has imposed there. I was able to find like English articles from Korean press who had covered it. And it's like, these are massive protests that would be huge news here. We don't hear anything about it because nobody wants, nobody in the press wants to like us to know that, Hey, you know, these workers in this other country are getting treated like shit. And their response is like, not, well, we need to go out and vote. 
It's let's go force the government to stop doing this bullshit. They don't want anybody here getting those kind of ideas. So, yeah, well, they, they would prefer that we continue to recycle the same century-old union tactics that can be beaten by half a century-old management tactics. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, I, I just say all that because it's like, this is because I know sometimes there's folks who are maybe some of our American listeners were like, why are we talking about all this stuff going on? Like, you know, in Korea, maybe nobody thinks that. And I'm making, yeah, let's say we never get those comments, but you know, it's possible that they're out there. But just generally, this is why I think it's so important to follow developments in labor in other countries, because while, you know, yes, the material conditions in these other countries are different. The material conditions in South Korea are quite different than those in say Texas. But like, just like with the farmer strike, we can learn from these incredible levels of organization and class consciousness that exist in the periphery, in the global south, where you have workers who can see the contradictions a lot clearer than maybe workers here in the Imperial Corps can. And so I think there's a whole lot we can learn from them. And so just solidarity with the KCTU under these attacks. And and I think that they are are one of the organizations that U.S. labor can really learn from. Yeah, Absolutely. And I mean, speaking of like unique conditions, I think we can come back to the United States to talk a little bit about Starbucks and Ithaca, New York, which, you know, I mean, we've been kind of having the running gag of, you know, the Ithaca manager, this and that. But uh, recently, uh, Starbucks has decided to close basically every single location in Ithaca, except for one location that is on on the Cornell campus and uh, the, the Starbucks union there is basically saying, uh, you know what, if you're going to close down all of our, all of our stores, how about you get the fuck out of our city? Yeah. Like first off, it is just fucking wild that, I I mean, look, if you ever wanted to see the weakness of the NLRA and the NLRB, and I'm not saying this about the individuals, the structural weakness, the intentional weakness built into these structures. It's this. You have this company that has literally just said, oh, you, you unionize every store in the town? Fine. We're going to close every store in the town. And that's – and then it's nothing. It's, it's crickets because it is essentially – it is nearly impossible to prove the intent – that Starbucks is doing this in a court of law because of union activity. Yeah, sometimes you get lucky and they're very stupid and they send an internal email where they say that and you get it in discovery. But like, because again, never underestimate the stupidity of the bourgeoisie. But like, a lot of the times you don't get that. And so it can be very easy for them to muddy the waters and say, look, you know, here's some profit charts that we massaged or made up out of nowhere look they weren't profitable enough and we we have too many stores and we're consolidating or some bullshit and the judge is like oh all right that makes sense according to this quarter's charts every student gets an a (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and so the the fact that they could just do this bullshit and declare like war on this town like fuck you we're closing these stores we're throwing like probably 70 ish people out of work. Uh, but we still want to operate the little, uh, regional store or like kiosk type store that we have on Cornell, which I don't, I don't know if that one is unionized. Um, and so as you said, Lena, I just love that the, the students of Cornell have just been like, Oh, all right, fine. 
That's how it's going to be? Well, fuck you. (laughs) You're not allowed to keep that store open. We demand that the university cancel the contract with Starbucks and bring in somebody else who isn't a bunch of union-busting goons to sell coffee on the Cornell campus. And I love their slogan, quote, if Ithaca is no good for Starbucks, then Starbucks is no good for Ithaca. (laughs) I I also love this because, like, where else could they try this? Ithaca was such a, a, a locus for the initial organizing phase. I mean, Western and, and um, a quote, I don't know what upstate means, but New York besides NYC was like such a locus for this organizing. And it's like, if imagine if they tried to do this in Seattle, the other right. incredibly militant like geographic location. I mean, it's just totally unsustainable. So I feel like it, if we had a reasonable justice system in this country, it would be quite easy to prove the intent <laughs> behind this move. But of course, it's specifically designed to protect people like award-winning bestseller Starbucks the Corporation. yeah i mean i I do think that this location is unionized just because uh it we do know that every store in ithaca is union and even if this is like a a, uh one of the subsidiaries they would at least have the consent of those workers to go there and protest because i don't think oh for sure would would like just go there and be like we're gonna shut down your store too no that would be kind of shitty like uh, there's at least enough there's at least an informal union at this store yes absolutely that's a good point depending on how it's arranged to the store at cornell might be a licensed store and might be Mm. operated by cornell employees instead of starbucks employees in which case you end up with sort of like a hardy's in an ohio turnpike situation where it's like the guy from the (laughs) hardy's walks over and is now working at sparrow and then 10 minutes later he's working at burger king so (laughs) yeah uh yeah but i but but your point is is definitely there lena that it's like they're they're the workers there are clearly acting together in solidarity so whether their you know union is recognized by the state or not they are they are an organized uh work unit and so yeah in in so the the students aren't just you know making these demands like verbally or in their paper or anything uh they took it to the starbucks the uh on thursday may 11th the a ton of students came in and occupied the day hall on cornell's campus to to basically continue to further their demands that the school cancel their contract. They were ordered to leave the building so that it was would, could close and were threatened with being arrested by Cornell police. Uh, and so they instead said, okay, fine, we, we, we made our point. And then they moved across the street from the building and set up a camp and camped out all night. And then, and then they were going to continue their protest the next day. I think they did. And then uh, Cornell basically had to cave and be and, and at least be like, all right, fine. We'll have a meeting with you to discuss this. Uh, please stop <laughs> protesting and occupying this building. Um, and one thing that I love to see, too, was on Wednesday the 17th, uh, Cornell faculty signed on to the petition too. Their their union, the AAUP, they voted unanimously to sign on in support of the protesting students. And they said in their statement, quote, the university should make clear to Starbucks that it will not accept union busting or retaliation against workers exercising their rights, end quote. And so I'm really glad to see these folks fighting back against this. But I think ultimately like one of the many things that this story just demonstrates is how absurd this whole system is like just private property. Generally like this, 
student, the, the, the workers at the, those other stores in Ithaca who formed a union didn't form a union because they, like, they thought Starbucks should cease to exist. They wanted to have better jobs. They wanted to continue to work there. And maybe they had other desires too. But it's like they wanted to work there. The customers wanted those stores to continue to remain open. The only people who thought those stores should close are a bunch of fucking executives in Seattle or remotely wherever the fuck they are who are like, yeah, well, we don't want those people getting any ideas that uh, they can unionize and there's no consequences. And you know, probably thinking, well, we're going to try decertification attempts a lot of places, but we don't, we're not sure if they'll work in Ithaca. So we want those stores gone. We don't live there. We don't work there. We don't shop there. But we get to be the people that decide whether those stores are open or closed. And I just think that doesn't make any fucking sense. And so, you know, I think if you ever want to talk to people who think that, you know, socialism or any of that stuff is just this out there kooky idea, I think this is a great story to show them the real out there kooky ideas that capitalism fucking works. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. very true. No kidding. And people of Ithaca, if you're now, if, if you now have no choice but to go to the local anarchist coffee shop for your coffee, ask that barista what they think about this whole situation. And I guarantee you'll get a whole nother hour of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, our next story, we're going to be talking about the UAW and workers at a battery, an electric vehicle battery plant in Ohio. We're on Monday the 8th. Workers who, you know, make these batteries for electric vehicles at uh, Clarios, which is, I guess, a plant, the plant, the name of the plant. I don't know why I'm questioning that, but it just is an interesting name, I guess. In uh, Holland, Ohio, uh, which is interesting because at one point I lived in Holland, Michigan. And Dutch so- alert. Dutch alert. If you ever look at a regional map of like European ancestry in the United States, the Dutch pockets are all just like two and three county, like little blurbs in patched throughout the Midwest. The biggest one is in Iowa, I think. Totally unrelated. My dad used to work for Ford New Holland, which is Ford's tractor division. Mm. Interesting. interesting. (laughs) Well, these workers in Holland, Ohio, voted down a contract proposal by uh, the company with a whopping 98% launching a strike to demand better wages and conditions. These workers organized with uh, Local 12 in the UAW produced produce over 100,000 vehicle batteries a week for Ford and GM to use in their electric vehicles. About 400 of the plant's 650 workers are part of the UAW, and they are fighting to stop attempts by the company to increase work hours for no additional pay. I mean, they're one of the largest battery manufacturers in the country, with 18 plants and over 5,000 employees in the contract proposal. They demanded to be allowed to ask workers to work for 12-hour shifts without overtime pay. They've also attempted to just straight up cut workers' wages by increasing the piece rate quotas, consequently lowering their hourly pay. Understandably, this attempt was (laughs) roundly rejected, uh, you know, hence the strike. And this is the first strike in this plant's history. Now, when 
people some people do end up working 12 hour shifts without overtime pay because they're not union and companies without unions tend to just have that policy anyway now there are factories and and other sorts of manufacturing places that do have you know like overtime over eight or overtime over 10 and stuff like that but when it comes to union jobs they roundly have uh, overtime like contingencies for these sort of long shifts and uh clarios just wants to get rid of them yeah like the workers at this plant since they're uaw they have overtime over eight which clarios hates <laughs> uh of course because of and the demand for electric vehicle batteries has you know of course shot through the roof as the ev transition has really sped up so the demand for their product is very high so they, they want to be able to work these workers a lot harder so they can produce more batteries but of course being a corporation uh they don't want to pay for any of that extra work and <laughs> clarios responded to the strike by saying quote unfortunately our first offer was not accepted but we are dedicated to continuing good faith negotiations to reach a contract that focuses on the future and supports our customers, end quote. Oh, there's someone you're missing there to consider. Yeah, I love that the contract is supposed to support the customers, not the workers. Yeah, isn't there someone you forgot to ask? The Lord <laughs> Jesus Christ? I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Running up to a young couple dancing at a prom and separating them and just saying, like, leave room for the UAW. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. um, but I, I love the, the quote, though, from, from one of the workers there who talked to um, a local news station there, 13 ABC, after they went on strike. This uh, guy named Walter Pope who said, quote, we've been grinding. We've been working. We've been making a lot of batteries for this company. And even with inflation and everything going on right now, they've been cutting our rates, cutting our wages, and they're currently in contract talks. And the plant manager is not willing to negotiate, not willing to negotiate at all. So we want some of our money back. We want better pay rates, and we basically want to be treated fairly, end quote. What I love about that quote the most is when he says, we want some of our money back. Right? That is the yeah. correct way to phrase that when you and your coworkers make 5 million batteries a year for this company. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not something because it's, I think that's such a great point because we're not trained to think about it that way. And it's like even, even, you know, real militant stuff sometimes will be like, yeah, you know, you got to give us some of those profits that you made. It's like, no, not really. That you made the workers. Like the only reason any of this shit happened is because of these UAW members. As he said, they've been grinding, they've been working. As you and as you pointed out, five million batteries a year. That doesn't happen because of the fucking board members. It's these folks. I'd exactly. love to see. Exactly. I mean, screw the board members. I'd love to see Tony from Sales put together even one battery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, considering the way that a lot of these materials work, you'd probably end up with a smoking crater. <laughs> But yeah, unfortunately, uh, despite the incredibly cool and great energy by the workers on strike and the 98% uh, vote against that contract, Clarios has slammed the uh, strike-busting uh, lever into overdrive. Uh, they went and got a court injunction against the workers basically immediately when they went on strike. And of course, the judge immediately agreed to limit the union to five picketers per entrance to the plant, uh, making it more or less impossible to physically block the entrances uh, to the 
plant, which is important for Claros because they have, of course, begun hiring scabs to try and break the strike. And in addition, have also uh, cut off striking workers' health insurance to try and force them to capitulate. So they just had all this shit ready to go and just immediately were just like, oh yeah, no, fuck everyone who works for us and just hit like a big red button, which I keep miming that nobody can see. It's yeah. bizarre to me that that a judge who is literally just some lawyer in a robe can say you're only allowed to have five people on the picket line and then if you violate that now you can get like fined or arrested i mean that's just that runs totally contrary I, even if i was like a liberal who just believed in like constitutional freedoms that would still seem like utter political derangement to me yeah i mean theoretically we have freedom of assembly but right yeah yeah and what's I next mean, i'll be quartering soldiers soon <laughs> i know <laughs> Are well, gonna and, force me to put up a fucking Pinkerton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I mean, this is specifically meant, especially with the increase in attacks against picket lines, to put workers in danger. And the the, mm-hmm. the purpose of this is to make it less safe to be on strike, and and to yeah, to protect the the company's profits because apparently it's the company's right to fuck over a ton of working people. You know, I guess in uh, compared to this judge of the fellow Americans that they are supposed to be, you know, representing and standing up for or whatever, you know, they don't give a fuck about them. No. Yeah. Well, and with all of the action that the company has taken at this point, it's basically boiled down to just being a battle of attrition between the mm-hmm. workers and the managers. So the workers are basically uh, hoping that the inexperience of the scabs will keep production levels low enough to hurt Clarios's business and force them back to the table. Um, I've never made a battery. So going off of that, I think that will probably happen. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, with the legal system fully against the union, the UAW may have to expand the strike or turn to allies such as the Teamsters to really put pressure on the company to win the contract that these workers deserve. And just today, May 22nd, day of recording, the UAW announced that workers voted down a proposed tentative agreement by 75% and the strike continues. And I'd like to see that 75% because unfortunately, it does let me know the, the tentative agreement was bad, but it the good part is that it lets me know that these workers aren't going to settle for less and are more than happy to speak with a unified voice and stand together for as long as it takes. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So solidarity with these workers and, uh, you know, anybody in the area around Holland, Ohio, uh, if there's any other unions there, uh, some coordination <laughs> would be great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's right. Got to do anything we can to help those striking workers. Well, our next story is going to take us to another Midwestern state, the great state of Minnesota, home of the uh, Paul Wellstone, RIP. Paul (laughs) Wellstone truthers sound off in the comments. That plane crash was intentional. But (laughs) we're we're here to talk about uh, workers, in fact, who are working for Amazon in Minnesota and trying to get some new legal protection. So the Minnesota state government has seen a lot of pressure by large amounts of organizing around workplace safety at Amazon. Amazon. And in response, they've passed a bill that will extend basic but crucial rights to workers in warehouses within the state, including non-Amazon warehouses. So again, we see how 
organizing for your workplace helps workers across the board in many cases. Before we actually get into the details of the bill, let's remember crucially that Amazon warehouses are the most dangerous warehouses in the country, and it's not close. And in Minnesota, one in nine workers are injured on the job, which is double the rate of other warehouses and quadruple that of other industries on average. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It's like, it's incredibly it's, dangerous. Yeah, and it's funny because it's like you always hear all the fucking bullshit about, you know, the the pearl clutching, about the cops, about how hard, oh, you know, they're just, they don't know if they're going to come home. Like, you know what? Unironically, and not just because we hate the police, like, it is a hell of a lot more dangerous to be walking around in a fucking Amazon warehouse oh, than yeah. it is sitting on your ass in your fucking patrol car doing nothing or harassing the shit out of people not who are not doing anything, which is all the cops do. Well, and even yeah. before Amazon gutted the industry's safety standards and made it so much more horrifically dangerous, there were dozens of jobs that were more dangerous than being a cop, like working on roofs or delivering pizzas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but we never hear any of the veneration for this very dangerous job, which is bullshit. But that's why, you know, it's good to see. Uh, obviously, we don't, you know, we're not the biggest fans of electoralism, but that doesn't mean that there's no utility in organizing for reforms that will, in this case, literally save workers' lives. Right. Like that is still something valuable as a step on the right path, you know, to revolution. Plus, this is in another way, just like a strike shows the power of organized workers, these workers organizing and demanding that the state government pass this bill also shows that they can get that political power by doing it. Not by just donating to fucking politicians and hoping they'll do something good, that's bullshit, mm -hmm. but doing direct action to be like, no, you need to pass this. <laughs> right. Well, and people have been trying to give credit to the Minnesota Dems specifically, which I think in some degree is warranted. But it's super yeah. important to remember that the Minnesota Dems, even just for being a little bit left of where you would expect them to be, have drawn the ire of the Democratic National Establishment repeatedly, yes. who has done nothing but try to rein them in and make them more friendly to Republicans. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And I, I guess when it comes to like what's actually in the bill though we could kind of go over that this bill itself is called the warehouse worker protection act uh it's going to force warehouses with over 250 workers to provide written disclosures as to quotas that the workers are forced to meet these disclosures also must be provided in the workers primary language and uh, the article that I mostly pulled this information from is in, is The Nation, and it points out that Minnesota has one of the largest Somali diaspora populations in the country, and this would specifically help keep those workers informed as to these work uh, protections that they are entitled to at this point, which, I mean, Amazon has consistently tried to use, like, these quota metrics as a black box reason to fire people especially organizers and so that's really important that these conditions are going to be on paper and also easily accessible to people who have consistently been exploited by amazon through mm -hmm. hiring people whose language is not primarily english 
and just providing them with bare minimum information in their own language or sometimes only information in a language that is second to their um, you know, native language. Yeah. Uh, pe- people, people from outside of Minnesota might not realize what a diverse state it is. They also have the highest concentration of Hmong um, immigrants in the country, I believe, which is uh, linguistically terribly underserved in the United States because they speak a variety of Southeast Asian languages. It's true. But to back to the bill, uh, it also provides that workers cannot be fired for not meeting quotas if they are not informed about them, which is uh, kind of like a, a union contract pr- uh, protection in a certain sense, because often there are ways of of grieving these things out, but in this case, it would be through the state, uh, you know, I guess, uh, civil system. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it. there's still a limitation there, which is that it make the worker has to go bring that suit. Now, you would hope, this is where, this is where you want the, the ambulance chaser trope to work in your favor. Like, where, like, I want to be seen in Minnesota the annoying ads for lawyers, but it's not for like mesothelioma or for like uh, sue the person who ran into your car or whatever. It's, hey, you want to sue Amazon because they're putting you in a dangerous workplace? Well, this law just enabled us to do that and we'll do it for free as long as I take a chunk of it. And, you know, it sucks that the workers wouldn't get all the money. But if they start getting hit with enough of those lawsuits, then it could actually, you know, start making a difference. But it, it like... Would I? I think the preferred version of this would be like this: the state, the state sets up basically an inspection system that's just like, look, this is a rampant problem. Amazon will not deal with it, so we're going to send in surprise inspectors, and we're going to pay for that by putting a new tax on Amazon. And they're going to pay for the inspectors, and the inspectors are going to show up randomly, and they're going to, you know, find the shit out of Amazon or start, you know, ideally again. Not fines, but like criminal charges for breaking these laws. Like that's the sort of, but that's the sort of thing that would be, you know, ideal. But right. we're right. with Democrats here, so we got this version, which is now, now, better now, than it was. Your alternative is now it's like, oh, I'm having my labor rights impinged upon. I better dial one eight hundred call Sam, or I better get a hold of Shenderovich, <laughs> Shenderovich and Fishman, just to give two of my favorite regional examples of personal <laughs> yeah i i think that and what you're describing is there's aspects similar to that in this bill but it's not quite to that extent uh the bill allows current and and this part actually is kind of the what was a little bit vague to me because i didn't actually like read the bill i was mostly just looking at reporting and it says that that it allows current and former workers to bring civil suits for damages and injunctive relief against warehouses that did that do not comply with this law which the the former workers part means that i guess i wonder what the statute of limitations on that is yeah. because that's really important but this could also mean that certain organizers could get their jobs back if they were fired for these sort of you know again black box quota bullshit sure yeah potentially um i don't know how likely that is but technically it seems possible uh and then finally if a particular work site has an injury rate of over of 30 percent or higher than that year's average in injury rate at in that industry you know on average 
the Minnesota Commissioner of Labor will open an investigation into the workplace. Now, that was also kind of vague. Like, what is just what does an investigation mean? Does that mean that then they are going to uh, like put them on blast? I don't know. Like, does it mean yeah. that there's going to be charges? It doesn't necessarily say. It, it it's a classic progressive dem bill. It's like, is this a genuine improvement like for the workers that they did because the workers demanded that they do it and forced them to do it? Yes, it is an improvement. Could it have been a lot better and should it have been a lot better even within the bounds of the capitalist system? Yeah. <laughs> it's because it's so milk toast and vague. I think that that's my biggest gripe with it is that at least based on the reporting that I saw, it, there's just not a lot of concrete ways that the outcomes of this will be handled. It is like a path to possible like recouping of, of your, your losses or, or whatever. Yeah, they're adding more avenues for you to pursue this through, but they're not making your odds of any given avenue of pursuing this all that much better. So ultimately, like on aggregate, is it a positive? Yes, but it reminds me of like, it makes me think the Democrats have taken Zeno's paradox of motion as a how-to guide, where it's like, if you'd like to get from point A to point B, go half the distance, and then go half that distance, and then go half that distance, <laughs> and then go half that distance, and you never get there. But of course, you could simply walk to point B, and you would be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and this isn't in the notes, but I, I wanted to tack on because there are the thing that I think folks may have seen a, a lot more praise for, because we wanted to mention the Amazon thing because this is a national issue, and it's really cool that the Minnesota workers have been able to get this through. But there is another big labor bill that was also recently passed by the Minnesota legislature that is kind of a sweeping bill that included things like mandatory uh, paid sick days for pretty much every worker in the state, um, making class size an item that is a legally like allowable negotiating item for teachers. So, because that's a, something you see a lot of times where states try to get injunctions against teachers during negotiating because they make, you know, class size, a big issue. Cause it's a huge issue. And they're like, no, no, you're only allowed to, to bargain over wages and benefits. You can't make that a strike threat item. And so now they are explicitly legally allowed to do that in Minnesota. Yeah. It will go ahead just a few, I'm just a couple more items. Um, it banned non-compete agreements, which are, which are basically supposedly being banned by the FTC nationally, but Minnesota just decided, fuck it. We're getting ahead of that. Um, and it is also, um, setting up a system for, to help construction workers hold contractors liable for wage theft, which is rampant in construction. And one that is of course, very close to all our hearts, uh, it makes Minnesota the third state in the country to completely and flatly ban the use of captive audience meetings. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's actually a really big deal. Um, yeah, uh, so, so, so I will say that credit on that bill. That's a good bill. Yeah, yeah. well, and this I mean, is like uh, what William Z. Foster said when talking about this sort of thing is that, you know, you don't go to the capitalist parties and ask them for help. You just say uh, thanks when they do, you know, like you can be like, hey, thanks for doing that. We appreciate it. Now we're going to go back to, to doing our labor <laughs> thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, 
you know, we're pattern seeking creatures. So you get something that you desire out of an institution and you're like, oh, maybe I can rely on them to get things that I desire. Not so with the Democrats. They just occasionally (laughs) spit out something that's all right once in a while. Well, and because that misunderstands the way the system works, Uh, this is, you know, because the actual way that this has happened and you talked about it right at the beginning when you're talking about the pressure campaigns that uh, Amazon has been receiving. One of the major groups that has been supporting, especially like the Somali workers has been the uh the awood or yeah yeah the awood center and uh they got a lot of props for being one of the, the larger pressure groups that was um kind of making sure that these uh conditions that the workers are facing are brought front and center especially the language issue and i think that their uh work there was one of the major issues that the language part of the bill was even you know in there and so it's it's not the Democrats that did that. It is these outside groups. It's these pressure uh, groups. And it's the workers themselves who are there on the ground fighting back. Absolutely. Yeah. So hats off to the workers of Minnesota for getting organized and putting enough pressure. And I will say begrudgingly so as not to be a hypocrite uh, like – this specific group of Democrats actually did a good thing for once. So cool. Thanks. Right. But I also <laughs> see that you have a little note in here about the Mayo. Clinic. Yes. That's what I was about to get to. And so that's the nicest that I will ever be to a group of Democrats on this show. And it's already too nice because they decided to fuck over some other workers. So I had to add a coda to this, uh, to close out our sort of coverage of Minnesota Democrat electoralism. Uh, because that labor bill is genuinely good. That there's a lot of really good stuff in there. This this uh, warehouse protection bill. Those are those are good. They're they're limited, and they could be. They are very vulnerable to attack structurally by institutions like the Supreme Court, um, and also to you know a bad election cycle turning you know the legislature around. But those are good. Unfortunately, there's another bill that also has recently been going through the Minnesota legislature that's less good. It started out good. It was a bill that was strongly backed and organized for by the Minnesota Nurses Association, which is essentially a safe staffing bill, which is something that we every single nurse strike we have covered since the pandemic. That has been like more than wages, more than anything else. Safe staffing has been the number one issue that we have heard from nurses. So it's very important. Um, And they've been working on a bill to have a requirement for every hospital in the state has to set safe staffing levels. Be great. So the Mayo Clinic has a big presence in Minnesota. They do a lot of business there. They don't want that bill to pass. And they threatened the Minnesota government and really, I guess, the population of Minnesota that if the safe staffing bill passed, that they would pull $4 billion of investment in the state. Which to me, I'm like, oh, so this... This company is being is, is, has decided to uh, use terrorism against the people that that's their idea that they're just like oh you got a nice state state going on there be a shame if something happened to it Dan terrorism is such a strong word I would call this blackmail <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean tomato tomato in this case but like well and I mean it's not un- I mean I understand where you're getting at Dan because this is about people's health and livelihoods on top of right. that so I mean it's mm-hmm. blackmail 
of the threat of reducing people, uh, reducing the capacity of the healthcare system to actually serve people, which could be seen as terrorism. Well, right, because, I mean, to me, this is, they're just like, yes, we operate what most people in the area would consider to be a vital facility for keeping people alive. And you're going to do something that will reduce our profits. So I'm going to threaten to basically take that away so that the society is no longer able to benefit from it, which I'm like, to me, okay, so you are threatening to lower the life expectancy Mm -hmm. of uh, the state of Minnesota, which... I don't know. That's a terroristic threat to me, but, um, well, I mean, it's like, that's the thing, you know, outside of my normal critique that (laughs) the United States isn't a communist nation and that's why it's fucked up. But there's also the thing of, it's just like, there's no, once you provide a service that people rely on in this economy, there is no duty Mm -hmm. placed on you to continue to provide that service and that just seems patently ridiculous because that means that, like, not only is progress going to be uneven, it's subject to horrible and horrific, you know, cataclysmic backslides at any moment. And that's just not, I mean, even outside of my Marxism, that's just not a sensible way to run a society, period, full stop. Right. Well, because like even from like the liberal perspective, like I would have been shocked by something like that and just be like, look, we can't we can't run a society this way. If every time we go to pass a regulation, you're just going to threaten to every company is just going to threaten to pull out of the state or whatever. We, that, we, can't, we can't run a society that way, which is why the correct response to that should have been to nationalize the Mayo Clinic, seize their assets and operate it by the state. Be like, oh, well, okay, fine. You don't want to operate your business here if we have safely regulated hospitals? Fine, you don't have to. We'll run it for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, unfortunately, and this is why I said this is the mad at the Democrats part of the show, that's not what the Minnesota Democrats did. Instead, they caved to the threats and wrote a specific exemption into the bill as an amendment that will uh, allow Mayo to not have to meet these safe staffing standards. Well, Minnesota Democrats, thank you so much. But this time, <laughs> sarcastic. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's uh, your pretty typical uh, roundup. The, even when the Democrats do something good, they then go and fuck it right back up. Well, let's yeah. move on to something that we don't have to equivocate or talk about any kind of extra bullshit that might sully the moment where we have an unequivocally good thing happening where this past Thursday we saw a unique union victory at Star Garden Topless Dive Bar in Los Angeles where they became the only current state-recognized stripper union in the country. We did have one previous instance of a state-recognized stripper union that was one in 96 in an establishment that ended up closing in 2013. So these workers at Star Garden uh, won their election unanimously with a 17 to 0 count and have joined the Actors' Equity Association. So we have direct action by the workers to secure protection for themselves in a unanimous fashion. I have... 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and it is a lot like that. I mean, they began organizing 15 months ago for safer workplace conditions, better pay, and health insurance. Uh, though these uh, these issues kind of became a part of their demands because originally their core grievances were with, you know, like security guards of the club who, quote, repeatedly failed to protect dancers and, quote, 
from uh, abusive or threatening patron behavior and uh, management fired those who brought concerns up. Uh, these concerns were you know, are, are very well documented in this hyper-exploitative industry where patrons have been known to assault, stalk, and harass dancers. One worker fired was done so due to intervening when a patron was filming the dancers. Another was fired for simply bringing safety concerns to management. These two firings led to dancers forming their informal union at the time and then they uh petitioned for better conditions in you know right after that they were locked out in retaliation leading them to picket the business until management was finally forced to withdraw their objections to the union where then they had their election and won unanimously now, there were also concerns that patrons were allowed to stay past clothes where they could then identify workers in their casual clothes or outside of their stripper-like costumes and also identify them as they walked to their vehicles. Uh, Star Garden management told dancers that they couldn't go directly to security if they felt unsafe. Uh, one of the people well, interviewed the point of by— being security? Yeah, I know, right? One of the people interviewed by the AP who did this article, which I was surprised that the AP did this, uh, Lilith, uh, noted that th they were instead instructed to go to management who would decide, quote, if it was severe enough, if it was a severe enough instance for security to intervene, end quote. They're supposed to stop uh like working and go to management where they would probably get fired for stopping working or mm -hmm. like what like that's not an actual like way to protect people if you have security there they are supposed to make it more secure well yeah i mean like it's, it's ridiculous that one you would ever go to management so they can do a, like a cost risk assessment on whether or not to protect <laughs> right. their workers and then two it's also like patently absurd that you wouldn't have pro like that you're you're standards for security wouldn't be proactive security measures where like if there's an issue security would just be intervening in the first place but obviously the the managers thought like oh you know if we don't let the the customers be weird aggressive perverts who you know cause problems for our dancers then they're not going to spend their money here and that's less money in my pocket as the owner yeah and when that really highlights some of the hyper exploitation that exists in this industry uh Lilith did speak, you know, hopefully in the wake of the victory saying, quote, we're hoping what we've done to unionize uh, this club will have laid the groundwork for any other stripper in the country who decides that they want to also have a voice in the way their workplace is run, end quote. And I think that, you know, that's great to give hope to the people who are incredibly exploited. I mean, we uh, we really want these workers to stand up for themselves in the face of an industry which primarily exploits women and non-men. We must fight to end this sort of gendered violence. So power to these strippers and shut that shit down. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen a couple of people saying online that like, you know, oh, it's a shame there's just such a small group. Oh, it's just one, you know, one establishment, yada, yada. And I mean, I guess those are valid concerns, but like – you know, one small spark can light a prairie fire. Like we've seen, like it only took one unionized Starbucks and then the floodgates burst open, you know? So well, 
How many newly unionized workers have we heard from, you know, in story after story after story, where one of the things they say is they're like, I didn't even know you could unionize this Mm -hmm. job. And it's an example like this that shows, hey, you actually, in fact, can. Yeah. That, and that can be the sort of thing that inspires people all over to be like, I didn't even know you could do that. Now that I do know you could do that, we need to do that immediately. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of these workers, I mean, they had a, they got a unanimous vote. And I think that workers in this industry would see a lot more of those incredibly high turnouts and incredibly successful drives because of the level of exploitation in this industry. Well, one thing I'll say about stripping as a job is that it's got to be awfully hard to alienate the workers from the products of their labor. I mean, it's pretty right there isn't it like you 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 see the right. the knock on effects of what you're doing if if you're performing in that profession so it's not quite like somebody who might be sitting over a desk making a widget they don't know what the widget is for they don't know what company is buying the widget whatever like this is something where it's like their personal livelihoods their personal safety their work environment all of this is very 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 immediate so i i would hope that you know um the the contradictions would be readily apparent and that realizing that there is this kind of collective solution to this is what it takes to get more workers thinking about pursuing uh, union activity. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Actors Equity Association, there's a there's a good place to point anyone, you know, who is a stripper or other sort of, uh, you know, sex worker of sorts uh, to, you know, get some protections and, and a, a path to power. Or if they're in medieval times, because that's, that's the true. same union for them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but so we wanted to end the episode actually on two happy union stories. So we got a actually kind of a big one to close out that uh, I didn't see a ton of press on, but great coverage as always from labor notes uh, where they put uh, Luis Felice Leon put out a really good story where uh, on May 12th, uh, about 1400 workers in Georgia who build school buses for districts all over the, the country successfully won their union election to join the steel workers. They voted 697 to 435, uh, in favor of joining the steel workers. And that makes them, you know, they're not only one of the biggest bargaining units of the year, but it's one of the biggest like manufacturing wins in the South in decades, 1400 people at one manufacturing plant. And uh, so Maria Soma, who's the organizing director for the USW said in a statement, quote, it's been a long time since a manufacturing site with 1400 people has been organized, let alone organized in the South, let alone organized with predominantly African-American workers and let alone in the auto industry. It's not a single important win it's an example of what's possible. Workers wanting to organize and us being able to take advantage of a time and a policy that allowed them a clear path to do so, end quote. So these workers, they assemble school buses for Bluebird, which is the second largest uh, builder of school buses in the country. The largest one is a division of Daimler, is a giant conglomerate, and that's already unionized in North Carolina by the UAW. Um, so... Uh, the steel workers do have other major union shops in Georgia, such as BASF, but the state's union density is less than 5%. So that makes, you know, this sort of a victory, especially meaningful, especially in the auto industry where folks, you know, so know some of the recent history of attempts to organize it, like the Nissan plant in, I think, Tennessee, uh, that 
that failed after a very long organizing drive. There, there have been a few of those instances. So this is a really big and sorely needed win for all the reasons that um, you know the the organizing director from the Steelworkers laid out. And in a really great article for Labor Notes, uh, they dis- they spoke with workers about how their union drive developed, and it's so many parallels with so many of the other drives. Of course, the COVID pandemic was a really eye-opening moment for a lot of the workers there when the company refused to provide protections, follow CDC guidelines. They forced workers to basically, I think they, they, one, of the, one of them was quoted as saying, they forced us to basically work on top of each other and with no hazard pay, no adjustment of pace, nothing. And so the pandemic really kind of acted as the final straw that got workers talking about all these problems that they had had at the facility for years. And so, you know, they started coming together just organically to discuss problems that management has refused to fix, like a leaking roof on the plant that created uh, electrical safety hazards. Uh, they also talked about the consistent lack of respect from supervisors. Uh, one worker, Jonte Lockett, told Labor Notes, quote, you see supervisors talk to a grown man like he's a child, end quote. And I'm sure... Plenty of our listeners can empathize with a boss who treats you like that. Yeah, certainly. And one of the other things that was very frustrating is that Bluebird operates a point system for attendance, which workers have long hated because supervisors hold it over their heads to threaten their jobs because workers get half a point anytime they're late and they're automatically fired if they get up to six points. And those you know, the system's bad enough, but it's supposed to have a, a a metric where if a worker, you know, doesn't miss on like have unexcused absences, uh, which is just a weird thing to say about a job, um, <laughs> then their suppo- points are supposed to expire. But many supervisors will just arbitrarily keep these points on workers record for months and months at a time if they don't like the worker. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, so that this arbitrary discipline was was another big issue, but also so was lack of paid time off. The workers at this plant uh, currently don't get any paid vacation days until they've been with the company for five years, and they don't get a full week's worth of vacation until eight years with the company. And I mean, how many people even stay at a job for eight years now? Like. it's ridiculous. And uh, so Bluebird also holds workers to a quota of 38 buses assembled per day. And uh, they force the workers to work overtime if that quota is not met, which often forces workers into 12 hour shifts, making it very difficult for them to spend time with their families. And of course, finally, uh, low pay is, uh, as always, another big motivating factor. With some of the workers here, again, they're assembling school buses. This is, yeah, and they're this, making this only- fact blew my mind when I thought about, like, putting a school bus together by hand. And making $13 an hour, which is the minimum wage here in Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, these are school buses that you see all over the country. I've seen them here in Michigan. I've seen them in Pennsylvania. I've seen them in Wisconsin. They all say Bluebird on mm-hmm. them, you know? Yeah, I didn't even know. Honestly, I learned so much about school buses by by reading about this this situation. Uh, workers did come together from all different parts of the plant, meeting after hours and online. They discussed the possibility of unionizing with coworkers and uh, and talk spread to workers who had left Bluebird for jobs at unionized plants, who reached out to the steel workers for support. Which is great to have friends like that. 
The USW interviewed those workers and made videos about the difference being uh, being in a union made in their lives. These personal testimonials made a major difference during the union drive in dispelling the anti-union lies that the company was spewing. Yeah, and... So one of the things that one of the interesting factors to the story, and this is sort of what the organizing director was referring to in her quote when she said, uh, taking advantage of a policy that allowed them a clear path. So the problem that these workers ran into is that, of course, Bluebird did not want them to unionize. Now, theoretically, uh, they were supposed to actually be somewhat restricted in their ability to fight back against unionizing because that company received $40 million in federal funds from the major infrastructure bill that was passed last year towards the production of clean, battery-powered school buses. And that money came with requirements that it not be spent on union busting. The, the problem with that requirement is that it sounds great until you think about it for five minutes. Because... There's no requirement in the bill that if you accept that money, you can't union bust. Right. The only requirement is that you can't use that specific pot of money for union busting. There's nothing in the bill that says you have to be neutral in the election. So Bluebird just said, oh, okay, fine. No, that money's over here. And the union busting money is in this other pot. (laughs) Also, this explicitly says that uh, union busting is allowed. Yeah. Just not with this pot of money. Yeah, it's the weakest protection like of all time. Um, and so Bluebird just threw the same Littler Mendelssohn style pattern that anybody uh, you know you know you would expect at them. They had captive audience meetings, telling workers to vote no. They told workers a union wouldn't get them anything. Uh, they illegally polled workers on union support. Uh, they told workers that if they unionized, no other job would hire them. Which is a a lie, and also b I'm pretty sure illegal to say that. Yeah, and also like, do you think we're 12 years old? Do you think all of the employers meet <laughs> right. weekly to exchange who the troublesome employees were? Like, I have I have quit so many jobs under terrible circumstances and gotten another job down the block in days. <laughs> yeah, like, like blacklisting for union activity is a thing. It's a historical thing, but like, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> like not and not to not the way they're talking about today. And of course, they brought out the classic thing. Well, if you unionize, we're going to be forced to close the plant. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to take our ball and go home. Yeah, yeah. I, like, big doubt on that one. Um, and so, of course, the steelworkers filed seven ULPs against Bluebird, Blue, Bluebird, Bluebird for these illegal union busting measures that they took that the Democrats claimed that the provisions of the infrastructure bill would prevent, and they did not prevent at all. (laughs) And so Bluebird also tried this really disjointed campaign to, uh, with the workers where they, they they tried, they they basically it's a good cop, bad cop routine, but it's all just them. (laughs) Like they tried bribing workers by bringing in food trucks they started issuing new company handbooks that would actually define workers' jobs, which they'd never actually provided to workers before. Um, they started giving some specific workers raises and better schedules in a piecemeal manner to be like, see, look, you could just, we, we can make this work, guys. Look, you know, just give us another chance. Come on, we can, we can do this. Uh, but then they're also combining it with the captive audience meetings and the illegal polling and the threatening to close the plant. So... <laughs> Like, you're doing both of these things simultaneously. So anybody who's getting hit with both is like, well, I don't really know how sincere 
uh, any of these niceties that everybody's saying is. And really, I think the only reason they're giving these people raises is because they're worried about the union drive. <laughs> right. Well, and it seems like the workers have basically seen right through the, the false logic of the employer and been completely undeterred. So they voted 62% to join USW locals uh, 697. And it's just really funny to be like, hey, don't vote for the union, but also we're really scared of it. And here's some food trucks. And this <laughs> should totally not encourage you to keep pursuing the union. And the workers were like, food trucks and occasional raises, you say. <laughs> I think this could blossom into something actually worth having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And th- this win is like, it's great. It's wonderful, like for the workers themselves, but it's, it's a really momentous victory for workers in the South specifically, because the union density in the South is so low that has been consistently, you know, the, the use of racism. Cause again, this is a majority bl- uh, black workforce. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's such a big win. It's it's great for the UA for the UAW, you know, with the new reform slate coming in under Sean Fain and gearing up for the negotiations with the big three this summer. And so seeing these workers overcome all this union busting in one of the most hostile environments in the country to union organizing and coming away and organizing a major manufacturing plant in the South. Again, it's it, one of those things that's just like they they tell you it's impossible and then you show them it's not. And then everybody gets, can get inspired by that. And so Hell yeah. uh, really love to see this and hats off to the, these workers for this victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how about while our hats are off, we also take <laughs> our shoes off and get comfy and check out some memes. I didn't know there was a dress code for the meme review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the meme review brought to you by Barefoot is Legal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I well, was we're just gonna thinking start off about being comfy at home. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start off the silly. meme review with one of my favorite bits of nostalgia, and that is nostalgia for the late 90s slash Y2K era, because here we have a Bop It Extreme that has been modified to be a quote-unquote union bust it. And all of the different levers, the, the flick it, spin it, and bop it buttons have all been replaced with understaff it, ignore it, overwork it demotivated union busted (laughs) damn bluebird tried all of those and none of them worked (laughs) yeah it turns out this is another it turns out busting does not make you feel good it loses you (laughs) union conflicts that's right so shout outs to seiu 925 for the meme i actually didn't know this was a real bop it version because i just remember the original one that just had the the three things mm-hmm. the what twist it bop it pull it i think yeah and then they went the bop it extreme had five things and then Ooh. i believe they they combined it with the skip it at one point which was like an unrelated <laughs> toy but then they put like bop it buttons on the little ankle spinny skip it thing if you ever want to do a whole episode just on late 90s toys i am super down <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We got to find out if there was any union organizing at Mattel. Or Hasbro, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is actually uh, headquartered right here. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I drive by the Hasbro headquarters every day on my way to work. Wow. Yeah, they need a union for sure. More like has been. But you you also got to be careful. They hire Pinkertons. 
They do. That's true. But so uh, our second one, this is a, a, a apparently a, a grown worthy meme format based on the reactions it got in uh, the Discord. Uh, but it's 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 one of those you've seen the format. My hands look like this, so hers can look like whatever. It's just, <laughs> it's one of them stupid like like masculinity meme. And the best one besides this is my hands look like this playing a bass guitar. So hers can look like this card declined. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. That one's pretty good. But this one is just my hands look like this. And then it's hands that are dirty from, you know, working on stuff. And then two. And then the bottom is, so my supervisors can look like this. And it's a guy who's just watching a video on his phone. Hell yeah. (laughs) I got to tell you, that's that's why I love my job. My direct supervisor is not anywhere near me for most of the day, so he can't tell that I've never had a callus, and I know everything about World of Warcraft thanks to video essays. <laughs> and to be clear to people who may not have liked that meme, we are in no way criticizing anyone for being on their phone at work unless they're a boss. Because we're just criticizing the bosses because they're exploitative and fuck them. Yeah, that's that's right. right. If you're a worker, why are you working so hard? Chill out, bro. But if you're a manager, do your fucking job. What is wrong with you? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, this next one was one that I really liked as someone who has worked in a retail environment because I I feel like uh, this is a good one for that sort of job. It's got this like kind of pink background. It's almost like a 50s style advert. Uh, with this woman in like a flowing dress and like a, a long coat, and there's it's guess, even a little earlier than that. Yeah, like I think twenties like or thirties, maybe thirties. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the text on it is, "I am crop dusting customers at my place of work. It's safe, legal, and free. Join the class war today. Fart on the sales floor and keep it moving." And wow. It's, it's just a really great advert. <laughs> I love that it's safe, legal, and free because I'll tell you what, throwing used car batteries in the ocean, despite being safe and legal, is not free. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, so this next one is just, I mean, this is just like an illustration, really. It's a its a SpongeBob meme, and it's, told, I mean, this is a pretty basic format where he's, he's holding a, a piece of paper over a shredder and the shredder is dialectical and historical materialism. And then the paper is the absolute horseshit propaganda. That was my American history education. And then the second panel is it's just destroyed. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You actually learn real history. And then the last meme that we've got is another cute one, which I tried to put at the end and it's this cat who is up on a fence post and there's a bunch of uh, llamas who are looking at the cat uh, almost like the cat is explaining something and the caption on this is caught my neighbor's cat trying to unionize my llamas and I thought that was very cute. And also, why are your llamas not unionized? What's wrong with you? Well, you know, llamas aren't <laughs> technically covered by the NLRA. There's an unfortunate carve out for livestock. <laughs> oh man i don't so what is this? nobody take that joke to its logical conclusions okay i don't want anyone mad at me in the discord because you're like you said workers wear alpacas i did not <laughs> <laughs> so who what, what, would, what would they be like uh wool growers local i don't know i said no function. conclusions <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, if that's the case, then we are going to end it there. <laughs> we want to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. It means a lot. It's what allows us to do this show. It's what's going to allow us to make sure John's recording setup is uh, fixed. That's going to be very important. And you can do that at patreon.com slash workstoppage. We've also got all sorts of cool episodes that you can check out there we're in the middle of our cybernetics and labor series which is very cool and interesting uh and if you'd like to support us in other ways you can write us a five-star review somewhere you can follow us in all the places all of the links are at workstoppagepod.com you can also jump in the discord and come hang out with us you get access to the meme review and all of the cool conversations there's a reading group that is happening they are on chapter three, I believe, of No Shortcuts by Jane McAlevey. And so come in and join that. That happens on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. It's all an act, getting hotter to turn back the screen gear.